0: Welcome to On the Middle East, our Monitor's weekly podcast on the big stories unfolding across the region. Today we'll be talking about the Kurds, who are among the world's biggest nation without a state of their own. Yet we're seeing them play an ever bigger role in regional affairs. In Iraq, the Kurds played a major role in uniting the opposition and helping to overthrow Saddam Hussein. In Syria, they were at the vanguard of the US-led coalition's fight against the Islamic State, but the Kurds often find themselves cast aside when the big powers feel it's in their interest to do so. This pattern has been repeated particularly in the United States' relations with its fellow NATO member Turkey, which is home to the largest number of Kurds in the world. The Kurdish people continue to face political and cultural oppression inside Turkey as much of the world looks away. And today, as Finland and Sweden seek to join NATO, Turkey is demanding they crack down on Kurdish groups which Ankara labels terrorists, as a condition for not vetoing their admission. With us here today to discuss all these issues is Giran Özcan, a Kurd from Turkey who just founded the Kurdish Peace Institute in Washington. Welcome, dear Guran It's great to have you on our podcast today.
1: Thank you very much. Great to be here.
0: So, Guran you've just set up something called the Kurdish Peace Institute in Washington, D.C. Can you tell us a bit about uh, the Institute and, you know, what, what's it all about? What, what are its aims?
1: Right, okay. Um, well, I think I need to... Uh, kind of going a tiny little bit in history before uh, I go into what exactly Kurdish Peace Institute will try to do, um, because uh, the conflict created by the division of the Kurdish people between four nation states is arguably the central conflict of the modern Middle East today, uh, just because of the sheer amount of people that it impacts uh, across four nation states that I would say are pretty significant and very important to regional stability and increasingly uh, to international relations uh, across the globe. And especially this new um, or rejuvenated concept that we uh, are starting to talk about again, especially in places like DC, uh, great power competition. Um, And I think the region uh, that the Kurds live in um, and which they call Kurdistan will be a very important region going forward. Um, and when we're talking about nation states like Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and Syria, um, you know, these are nation states that uh, are very key to, to uh, well, firstly, regional stability, as I said, but now increasingly, uh, like we saw in the news most recently, even Sweden and Finland's NATO accession is hinged on, uh, hinging on Turkey's approach, and that hinges on uh, its Kurdish issue. So that's why I, I needed to kind of go into a little bit of the history of the issue um, uh, to explain why we needed this kind of a platform in a place like Washington DC. Um, and so while you know, the Kurdish Peace Institute will primarily focus on exactly what its name suggests, uh, a peaceful and political solution to the Kurdish question, it inevitably and inherently entails the democratization of the nation states I just mentioned, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and Syria, which in itself is by no means a small feat. I mean, I've been in BC now for almost five years. Uh, My previous role was the representative of the People's Democratic Party, HDP, uh, the second largest opposition party in Turkey, and Uh, The the last few years in DC has definitely taught me that uh, this country and actually a lot of countries outside of the region don't really know what the Kurdish question is. Um, Haven't had direct uh, engagement with the Kurdish people and their issues in each specific context. Uh, So I think as the Kurdish Peace Institute, we wanted to be able to offer and provide policymakers and decision makers in places like Washington DC, a a more direct engagement uh, with the Kurdish people, the political and military actors and and what their aspirations and objectives are. Um, Well, can
0: I just jump in, right? Uh, Because you said, you know, Kurdish Peace Institute and that your primary goal is to sort of find ways to get to peace uh, and create a discussion, I guess. Uh, among policymakers where we can get to peace. But when you say peace, where are you talking about exactly, Iran? Because you mentioned your background with the HDP. Um, Is it fair to say that uh, your institute will be more focused on, on, on the Kurds of Turkey than uh, the other countries that host Kurds?
1: Uh, a direct response to the last sentence would be no, because um, the Kurds, are either fighting or are being killed in all four of the nation states that I just mentioned. Yes, Turkey has the biggest Kurdish population, and maybe the best known Kurdish conflict uh, is the one between the PKK and the Turkish state. But unfortunately, uh, the Kurds uh, are being oppressed, suppressed and killed in all four of these countries. So uh, I repeat my answer, no, we won't be solely concentrating on Kurdish affairs in Turkey, as our advisory board and our uh, researchers and non-resident fellows will show everyone, uh, we want uh, a a context for all four parts of Kurdistan, uh, uh, by which I mean uh, the, the Kurdish populations and the Kurdish regions that fall within the national borders of Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and Syria.
0: Well, isn't your beef, though, with Washington, certainly with the successive administrations, is that they fail to uh, take up uh, the Kurds as a standalone sort of issue and that they tend to approach our respective Kurds, be they Iraqi or Syrian or Iranian or Turkish, through the lens? of the country that hosts them. And so is this something that you're going to try and sort of reverse, for example?
1: Absolutely. Um, So first and foremost, we are a nonprofit in the United States and our mission states that we're here to educate uh, people in this country, because until now, the United States has simply not been equipped to recognize the importance of this conflict or the proposals even that Kurdish political actors have put forward to address it. And as you rightly say, American perspectives on Kurdish aspirations are often inadvertently derivative of the nationalist and or sectarian viewpoints of Turkey, Iran, Iraq and Syria. And I think we believe that this puts the United States at a disadvantage. Um, and all too often has actually made the US complicit in real humanitarian and security disasters. So while uh, it's disadvantaging itself, for, you know, if we look at it through the American perspective, uh, it's also leading to uh, these nation states just having an open check uh, in in any which way that they want to suppress, oppress, and kill their Kurdish. Uh, citizens, um, so but
0: surely you don't include Iraq in that list. I think we're a bit beyond that in Iraq now. Today, I mean,
1: we might be. Kurds are still being killed in Iraq. Uh, yes, not so much by uh, Baghdad uh, as previously was the case. Kurds are be- Kurds in Iraq are being killed by airstrikes from Turkey, cross-border bomb- bombardments, and operations inside uh, Iraqi borders. Um, only just a few years ago. And still today, ISIS is still active uh, in Iraq and still killing Kurds there too, among other people. Um, So I'd say yes, in Iraq, uh, the context has changed. Uh, The Kurdish uh, regional government uh, is a a status that that the the Kurds have simply not uh, attained uh, in any other place. Uh, But that doesn't mean that the Kurdish issue is... uh, solved in Iraq. Uh, and as I said, the Kurds in Iraq, whether, you know, as a result of their own mismanagement at their own states, or uh, the actions of the states uh, that suppress and oppress the Kurdish population, it, it, it's still far from uh, being resolved, far from uh, being an accepted. Uh, end result for, for Kurds to be pleased with. I mean, they still have yes, a lot but of problems. You say
0: the them. Kurds, but there are huge divisions among the Kurds, wouldn't you agree? I mean,
1: yes, absolutely. Uh, and there are huge When you divisions.
0: say that uh, Kurds are being killed in Iraq, some Kurds would say, yes, they're being in, killed in Iraq with the help of the Kurds in Iraq. Uh, so, you know, when you say the Kurdish question, I think it's a bit confusing because what do we mean exactly by that? Uh, well, these are all sort of you know, especially to people who aren't necessarily in the know. Um,
1: I, I for one, will never complain about uh, the political pluralism in Kurdish politics. Uh, I mean, I've lived in the US for almost five years now, and I know what uh, political polarization means. I've seen it firsthand. And uh, I would say that political plurality, different voices, different parties, different agendas even, is actually healthy for the kurdish people and i'm not one of those that fetishizes kurdish unity or uh, or some sort of homogeneous political agenda for the kurdish people so yes there are different political parties uh, struggling for different ends different uh, political objectives even on you know wildly opposing uh, parts of the political spectrum. There are leftist movements, there are conservative rightist movements uh, amongst the Kurds, Um, but I don't see that detrimental. I I do, however, think that uh, some Kurdish uh, political organizations are criticized for cooperating with states that have it in for the Kurds, if you like. Um, and that is being criticised by a large base uh, of the Kurds. But um, I would definitely not uh, see that as a negative development. Well, uh,
0: speaking about Kurdish organisations, there's one in particular uh, that I want to talk about with you, the PKK, which is designated as a foreign terrorist organisation uh, by the United States And uh, of course there are more Kurds living in Turkey than there are anywhere else in the world, correct? And one could say that um, at least, I mean, it's hard to really have precise figures, but one could judge on the basis of the support to some extent that the HDP, uh, the party we're representing um, you know on the amount of votes they get in elections and the fact that you know a, a fair many of the lawmakers in that party do seem to support uh, pkk leader abdullah ocalan's views i mean how do you square this designation uh and yet being in a, in washington and trying to sort of help people understand what's at stake here and 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 why they should care about um about uh, the Kurdish issue and about peace between Turkey and its Kurds what what are the arguments that you make when you say speak to administration officials
1: so uh, you're right the the PKK is a prescribed organization uh, and even the story of how it was prescribed is is interesting I mean uh, I don't think. I, well, I'm definitely not the naive uh, young person that I used to be, uh, and, I, and I know that uh, prescriptions, especially when it comes to these kind of uh, engagements, uh, you know, that the US prescribed uh, the PKK towards the latter part of the 90s, um, and uh, you know that that's a lot of haggling, that's a lot of bargaining between two nation states, and even now um, we see this once again. With uh, Sweden and Finland trying to uh, apply for NATO membership, and Turkey again using that uh, as some sort of leverage to to gain its uh, you know political uh, objectives, to to make uh, other countries uh, acquiesce and accept its kind of conceptual framework uh, around the Kurdish issue. So um, yes, it is difficult trying to explain, uh, especially here in Washington D.C., that that policymakers need to engage with this issue much more directly, not take the statements and political objectives of the nation states that seem unwilling or unable to solve their Kurdish issue at face value. Uh, because in a time where great power competition is once again shaping the calculations of policymakers in which every square inch on the map is part of the global chessboard, the Kurds in Kurdistan have become important pieces of the game. And not only due to their uh, place on the map, You know, some have even argued that Turkey's purchase of the Russian S-400 missile defense system, which has severely strained relations uh, with the U.S., can be traced back to its Kurdish predicament. And if this is true, and we believe it is, then a deeper understanding of. What do you
0: mean by that? Can you explain that to us? What do you mean?
1: Well, I mean, now that, you know, the U.S. Uh, is directly engaging with Kurdish political and military actors on the ground in both Iraq and in Syria, um, and this, you know, we can trace back, trace this back all the way to uh, 2014 when ISIS attacked cities like Kobani, uh, like uh, Sinjar in Iraq. Um, I mean, for in Sinjar's case, the PKK fighters themselves came straight down, and in which no other actor. Uh, would defend or were willing to go to Sinjar and defend the Yazidis from genocide, the PKK did. Now, uh, you know, we can say that the PKK did this for its own interests or, I mean, that would be laughable because you'd have to be able to say that the PKK somehow manufactured ISIS's attack against the Yazidis in Sinjar, which is just silly to say. Um, But at the end of the day, no one else was willing to stay there and defend the Yazidis, and the PKK did Now, that was one uh, engagement that the the international community had to face, you know, were faced with in 2014. But also in the city of Kobani, when ISIS attacked, and when all, you know, standing armies were running out the way, again, uh, Kurdish fighters um, who are impacted and influenced by the ideology and the vision that that the PKK and Abdullah Öcalan specifically, the leader of the PKK, who have articulated over decades, Kurds that are aligned with with that vision stood and fought against ISIS and ultimately pushed it back. Um, And so the US had to engage with the Kurds on the ground because defeating ISIS was an objective and a priority for the whole world.
0: Uh, um... Yet the United States today is fully on board with Turkish operations against the PKK in Iraq, while at the same time um, advocating that the PKK should remove itself from Syria, or at least that's the sort of subtext of those unity talks that were happening between the Kurdish uh, parties inside Syria. So, I mean, isn't there an element of sort of contradiction and hypocrisy in in the US policy, if there is indeed such a policy. Well, um,
1: I would say even more disappointing is that it's not hypocrisy, it's not a contradiction, it's actually ignorance. And that's why I think that the Kurdish Peace Institute is ideally situated to combat that ignorance. <laughs> Um, because uh, what we want to do is uh, explain, especially to policymakers here, that they don't have to uh, accept Turkey's security uh, conceptualization of the Kurdish issue. Uh, I mean, Jemil Bayuk, probably seen as the de facto leader of the the PKK right now, had an article published here in in the US, in the Washington Post, in which he calls for uh, reconciliation. He says that the movement itself is ready to sit down with Turkey and solve this issue once and for all. Abdullah Öcalan from inside his uh, solitary confinement in Imrali Island has said for years that he is willing to sit down and, and solve this problem, even saying that he could do it or they could do it, you know, if, if the PKK and the Turkish state were able to sit down, this problem could be solved within a week. Now, when things like these are on the table, it would be silly for a country like the US who has now um, engaged with the Kurds, who now uh, is partnered with the Kurds in in fighting against a a very inhumane organization um, to try and get these two major actors in the region. uh, And I see the Kurds as major actors in the region too, but to try and get Turkey and its own Kurdish population and its own Kurdish uh, rebellious population to sit down and solve this issue once and for all, because uh, it all comes down to this, you know, how do we convince the rulers of Turkey that truly accepting the existence of the Kurdish people will not only not eradicate Turkey from the face of the map, but will enhance its its resilience and contribute to its prosperous future. That's something that I think uh, is both in the Kurdish interest and the US interest.
0: I've noticed on Twitter that there are some sort of um, veiled sort of, let's say, accusations that somehow through you, the, the PKK is, you know, that there's an attempt to legitimize the PKK. How would you respond to that? Well,
1: I mean, you know, I think any Kurd from Turkey will tell you that that's a very popular tactic used by the Turkish state. And it's quite unfortunate and a little sad to see that that people who you follow and you see, and you know, these are generally intelligent people uh, who have uh, cu- you know, come to a position in which they have to defend a Turkish state tactic or even actually profess themselves a, 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 an age-old Turkish tactic that uh, would deem any kind of dissent uh, and not just Kurdish dissent as well right now um, as uh, some sort of PKK propaganda. Osman Kavala is a great example. He is neither ethnically Kurdish or has never even organically engaged with the Kurdish movement. And yet uh, the poor guy, uh, I'm sorry to say, you know, he's been in prison for almost five years and just got sentenced to life. So in a country where someone like Osman Kavala can be uh, deemed or labeled a PKK terrorist, then, uh, you know, it, it's just sad to see uh, generally intelligent people uh, using the same tactics as, as this authoritarian Turkish state is. And I'd like to just say that the First Amendment in this country is, uh, you know, one of the most progressive uh, pieces of legislation uh, in, in any cons- constitution in the world. Um, and I mean, I would even go as th- this far. We, as the Kurdish Peace Institute, want to educate people about the Kurds and Kurdistan. The PKK is a major actor in this region and arguably has at least half uh, the Kurds supporting this organization. Now that is a, a mandate comparable to any legitimate government in the West today. So uh, I think we just need to talk about these issues. Um, the First Amendment allows us to talk about these issues, uh, allows us to highlight what these organizations are saying, what what they what the objectives are, uh, and uh, you know I think something a hurdle that we're trying to overcome is is um, the the ignorance uh, that states like Turkey bank on here in DC. Um, and I am very hopeful that we will fulfill that mission.
0: Well, just one more thing. Um, can you tell our audience how you're funded?
1: Well, we are a nonprofit here in the u s and we will be totally funded by contributions by people in the u s um we We won't be taking any foreign government money ever because uh, you know I think what we want to do is uh is in the interests of both, yes, the Kurds in Kurdistan, but also Americans. Uh, I think the American people, uh, the American government need to see that understanding uh, Kurdish political objectives, understanding the Kurdish people and their aspirations will benefit their uh, decision making process. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, the Kurdish issue, uh, even someone like Joel Rayburn. In, in an interview uh, only a couple of months back, said that this is uh, what, an issue that significantly impacts the stability in the region and a more stable Middle East is in everyone's interests. Uh, and I think that a lot, of, uh, a lot of people here in the US would like to contribute to a platform and an institute that will educate policymakers here in DC in engaging with the region in a much more sustainable and peaceful uh, way. Uh, Well,
0: Joel Rayburn, by the way, uh, is a former Trump administration official who covered the Syria file. Um, And so does this mean also that you'll be looking to work with fellow Kurdish organizations like the KRG representative's office there, uh, the Yazidi advocacy groups, will we be seeing an attempt to sort of create bridges?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we are first and foremost a research institute, and our produce, what we produce, the kind of knowledge we produce is open for everyone to use. Um, You know, because as I said, the fundamental issue regarding the Kurdish question, especially in Western capitals, is ignorance. And that's why that's what we want to uh, lay and that's what we want to get rid of. And I think uh, openness to all Kurdish political actors uh, in Kurdistan and in the diaspora uh, is a, a fundamental thing that, uh, that we will be open to. Um, and both in our research and what we produce, we hope to be uh, accessible to everyone.
0: So, final question. If someone publishes wants to publish, uh, let's say, a paper that's critical, of uh, Abdullah Öcalan and the PKK, you would be open to that?
1: Yes, absolutely. As long as it's,
0: you know, well-reasoned and uh, inoffensive, I mean, not, you know.
1: We will fact-check everything. We will have editorial guidelines, Um, but uh, you are someone that really knows the Kurdish movement very well, and uh, criticism and self-criticism uh, especially for the PKK, is one of its fundamental columns that it bases itself on. So uh, if, if the movement itself is open to that, it would be a shame for a research institute like us to not be open to it. Um, and we will stringently apply our editorial guidelines and fact-checking processes to everything that we will receive.
0: Well, we'll be following with great interest. Thank you so much, Giran, for taking the time. I know you're extremely busy with this institute now. So um, look forward to reading all your stuff. And uh, Gelex Pass.
1: Thank you very much, Flash.
0: I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at Al Monitor.
1: And I'm Joe Snell. I'm Al Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it: this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sit through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let Al Monitor help you.
0: If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to Al Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amberin and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspit you can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms.
1: And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com.
0: As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world.
1: So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis.
0: And that brings us to the end of today's program. I hope you, too, will follow the work of Giran and the Kurdish Peace Institute and also tune in to next week's podcast on the Middle East. Thank you.